As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. I will never forget your commands. They make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light to my path. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans 12, verses 18 through 21. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 976. Again, the text is Romans 12, verses 18 through 21, found on page 976 of the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we, uh, as we go to God's word this morning, let's go ahead and pray uh, together. Father, we, um, we long for our lives to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. We long to experience a freedom from the slavery to our sin. Father, from the stubbornness of our hearts, uh, from the certainty of our own opinions. Father, we long to, um, to Father, to carry that love, uh, Father, into the world, right out those doors and into the mission field that you've given us. To love one another, Father, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our enemies. Father, we long for you to send your spirit to cleanse us, to consecrate us, to equip us, Father, with the wisdom and discernment and love, to give us that vision of Jesus Christ and all his glory and all his splendor and majesty and all his welcome and all his wisdom and all his wonder, that we might be so transformed that we might live lives that are pleasing to you. Lives that make a difference in this world, that bring blessing and life and renewal and redemption to your world. Oh, Father, please, would you do that? Father, apart from your spirit, my words will fall to the ground, our meditations will be forgotten. So please, Lord, with man this is impossible, but with you all things are possible, and we ask for your power, your presence, your good pleasure to be here, to set apart this time that you may work wonders, wonders that you alone can perform. Father, uh, we love you. We pray all of these things in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. So we've been in chapter 12 together. Let me grab my, my Bible here. We've been in chapter 12 of Romans together, making this journey, talking to, uh, with uh, the, the series title being, being Remembering the Body. That is to say that as the last few years, whether it's politics or pandemics, have threatened to spread, to just to scatter us to the four winds, 
um, that we, we long to, through this the series to have that body as the body of Christ to be remembered, to be brought back together. And Paul here, as we've discussed uh, the last uh, number of weeks, we've seen how Paul transitions. He makes a pivot point from Romans chapters 1 through 11 to 12 through 15. In the first 11 chapters, he has spoken of God's scandalous wisdom. I'm sorry, God's scandalous welcome. God's prior welcome. He's spoken of how God offers salvation. Do you remember this? He offers salvation to all the wrong people. Right? To the, to the least likely. He offers salvation to any soul. That is to say, any kind of sin or any color of skin, whatever we've practiced, whatever our pedigree, through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, we have a welcome, a pardon. There is now an impossibility of condemnation. And Paul says through that scandalous welcome, that prior welcome that we have received, that through that comes an, an obligation, an opportunity for us to pursue a singular worship of him. Look there in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifice. In view of his mercy, in view of his welcome, to offer ourselves to him in worship, to give our lives an ongoing, sustained, devout service to him. His salvation means our service. Does that make sense? And it's not only the pursuit of a worship, it's the pursuit, verse 2, of a wisdom. The whole idea is that having welcomed us, that we would worship him and that we would pursue the wisdom of his will. Again, I'm going to sort of footstop this again and again and again because it's so important. Paul says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, listen, stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't just buy what the world tells you whether it's on Dr. Phil, whether it's on Oprah, whether it's whether it's in the world of higher education, wherever it may be, don't just sit there and just believe everything you hear. Don't just simply follow the ways that, well, this is how my dad did it, this is how my parents did it. He says, don't follow the way, don't be conformed to the wisdom of this world. And listen to this. This is just, I'm gonna again, I'm gonna footstop this again and again. Being a Christian means rethinking everything everything is this radical root he says not be conformed to the pattern of this world but what uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind everything it's that how we see the world how we think about things how we interpret life our motives our priorities our values everything is going to experience this radical shift how we think about our body our money our time the words we use, how we use those words, our parenting, marriage. It's, it's amazing just how transformational Christianity is. And, it's the, and here's the kicker, is that it's only through that renewing of the mind that we begin to see the wisdom of his will. Okay, this renewing of our mind is essential. Without it, we won't see that the, the, the genius of God's ways. That his ways are actually better. Go back. Did you see? Go grab the grab the bulletin again. We just read that summons to the word. Did you see that? I love this. this I love these. I mean, the summons to the word. I've, I've got I don't know twenty or thirty of them, and I just give them to Nancy, and I just say, hey, pick one for each week. But it matches so well what what, what Paul is saying here. I will never forget your what, your commands. I won't forget them. 
I won't forget your will. Why? Because that's the nice thing to do. Because that's what good people do. Because that's what God's people do. Why? What does he say? I'm not going to forget your will because it makes me wiser than my enemies. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love it. Listen, I'm going to listen to what you said because I don't want to forget it because I want to be smarter than the bad guys. Right? So there's, there's a usefulness. There's a utility. There's a wisdom. There's a shrewdness that when we renew our minds, when we stop drinking the Kool-Aid and we go after God's will and seek to follow his ways, it's not just a piety. It's not just a niceness. It's a better way. When we say, listen, I want to renew my mind and discover what is his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, it's me saying, you know what? I don't want to be a part of the problem anymore in this world. I want to be part of the solution. When we say, I want to renew my mind, we're saying, you know what, I'm so done with living the way that I used to live. See, people who, as Christians, when we, or, or people who think they're Christians, when we think, you know, you know I look at God's law, I'm really not interested. We, we haven't realized what we've been saved from. We've been called out of that life of selfishness. Out of that life of just using people. Out of that life of thinking we're better than others. We've been called out of a life that is dark and ugly and gross. And that's the Christian life. That's the process of sanctification. Is this idea that, you know, there are still things in my life that I love that are really bad. <laughs> and how do I renew my mind to come to a place where the things that I love are the things that are his will, that are his law? Okay? And that's the idea, to renew that mind. That's what he says here in verse 9. He talks about how hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It's like, yeah. How do I do that? What a beautiful thing to say. Okay, so he speaks here so beautifully of this idea of how God's welcome calls us to a pursuit of his worship, of giving ourselves and sacrifice to him every day, and the pursuit of a wisdom of his will. And I just, you know, this is silly. I want to do this partly because it's for the sake of the kids, but I want to show this video clip because I think it shows, in some sense, what our minds are like apart from God's wisdom. When we drink the Kool-Aid, we're just sort of living according to our culture. When it comes to discerning between right and wrong, we're terrible at it. We're really bad. And this clip, video clip is actually taken from a one, of one of my favorite animated films called The Emperor's New Groove. Okay? Now, there's, and the emperor is a guy named Cusco, who's, who's voiced by David Spade. who does a brilliant job. Emperor Cusco has an advisor named Yzma. And she's this older lady. lady. And Yzma wants to kill Kuzco because she wants the throne. Does that make sense? So she gives Emperor Kuzco poison, but it turns out it's not really poison. It's a potion that turns Kuzco into a llama. Okay? So, and, and so last minute, Yzma has her assistant, Kronk, simply hit Kuzco on the head. Now, well, he's now a llama. So she says, hit him on the head. Right? So then the last minute, it, uh, so, it, so, he, so he does Kronk, the assistant does this, and of course, as with any murder, there's the problem of what to do with the body. And so Kronk puts the emperor's body into a bag and throws it into a stream. And right as he th finishes it throwing it into a stream, he has his shoulder angels appear. Because he has this crisis of conscience. Okay? Like, should I do something? Should I rescue? Should I walk away? And we see this discussion between the two angels. Right? There's the good angel and the bad angel. And, this, and it's humorous, but I think it's wonderful at displaying just how poorly 
how poor we are at making moral decisions. Okay, so go ahead, Ron, roll the clip. My shoulder, Angel. Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm going to lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. You. 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 You infinity. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one, look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp, and you know it. All right. That's a harp, and that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two. Look what I can do. <laughs> what? What does that have to do with me? No, no. He's got a point. Listen, you guys. <laughs> You're sort of confusing me, so, uh, be gone. Uh, or, uh, you know. However, I get rid of you guys. Okay, thanks. Okay, so listen, I, it's a silly clip, but I think it, it, it illustrates something that is actually true for our culture today. We have no idea how to discern between right and wrong. We have no idea how to guide our minds, not intellectually, but morally, to that place of discerning what is truly wise, what is truly good. And Paul calls us to that lifelong, uh, that lifelong process of growth, saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by, but, 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 sorry, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that we can test, so that we can begin to see, to discern, and approve of, and celebrate what is the wisdom of God's will. Okay, so, so Paul here in the rest of chapters 12 through 15 sets out, uh, God's pro, uh, God sets out to renew our minds. That's what these, these verses are about. Why? Why does he want to renew our minds? So that we will see the wisdom of his will. Okay, now let me just say this. I want to just kind of, I should have, this is something I should have said in previous weeks, but I want to make sure I, I fit it in here. In what follows here, listen to this game. And what follows here in chapters 12 through 15, as Paul explains God's will, we want to ask this question. Is the behavior that he's calling us to live, is the will that he's calling us to live in our daily lives as the people of God, is it an ideal? Or is it just the normal everyday way of living life. That is to say, the descriptions we read through Romans 12 through 15 is Paul describing this unattainable ideal that no church is really like this. And no Christian really does this. Or, or is it something we're like, no, this is actually the expectation that God's people are to follow. That real Christians in real churches throughout real history have actually lived somewhere in the ballpark of this kind of life. Is Paul describing faultlessness, or is he describing faithfulness? Is he describing what's a peak performance, or what's just, you know, par for the course? And gang, it's so important that you hear that it's the latter. What we see here in Romans 12 through 15 is what faithfulness looked like. It's what's par for the course. It is what ordinary Christians, ordinary Christians are, have been doing throughout the centuries. It distinguishes those who are for real from those who are actually fake. It's those who see God's welcome and are blown away by it and seek to follow 
seek to discover the wisdom of his will. It's making sense. So this isn't just, you're never going to read, oh, this is what super Christians do. No, these are what real Christians do. And yes, they struggle to do it, absolutely. They may fail at times, they confess their sins. But they seek, this is what I am about. This is what I'm after. This is what I live for. This is what I'm giving myself to, a, a worship of him that leads to a doing of his will. And we saw here, looking at verses, looking at verses 3 through 8, we saw that the first thing that Paul seeks to renew our minds with respect to is, is our own selves. He says we are not to think of ourselves as superior, as superheroes or sloths, remember that? But as servants, as essential members of Christ's body. And then in verse 9, for the rest of the chapter, as we've seen here, Paul moves from the specific how each of us might serve and our various gifts and abilities as, as servants given their own specific task. He moves from the specific to the generic, how we all should live. And that begins in verse 9, where we see, we saw, we've seen this last couple of weeks, that when our minds are renewed, it will redeem our affections. Love must be sincere, verse 9, the first half. It'll redeem our feelings, verse, uh, the second half of verse 9. Hate, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It will redeem, when, we, when our minds are renewed, we'll, we'll think about family differently. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's a sense of redefining and rethinking how we do family. And again, gang, this isn't optional. It's not the icing on the cake. That to follow the way of Jesus is to radically rethink family. Okay? And I'm not going to take the time to explain that. Last week I explained it, we talked about it. Jesus is Jesus and then the New Testament, the early church, is radical, has a radical critique of, the, of how we prioritize biological family. And it's not to criticize family, it's actually to rescue family so that we can actually be better biological siblings and parents and children, etc., etc. But, 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 but for the sake of redeeming that family, it, uh, the, the New Testament reprioritizes that. So again... Paul, when our minds are renewed, it will redeem our affections, our feelings, our family. And he goes on through in these verses. I'm not going to take the time. We've gone through them. But I, I just, listen, to these, these, these uh, sermon series, and for the sake of sounding arrogant, I don't care. I'm, I am arrogant. But it's, because they're so counterintuitive to our, our own hearts, because they're counterintuitive, counterintuitive to our culture, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. Maybe two, three, four times. Because it's just so foreign to our way of life. Wait, you want me to do what? You want me to think how? And to discover, not because you have to do it, because it's the wisdom of God's what's a better way to live our lives. And I hope we see that this morning. So I want to take, I actually want to pick things up in verse 16, and we'll walk through verse 21. Okay, so let's jump in. So far, our, our, the sermon series has been brought to you by the letter F, right, hasn't it? I mean, when God renews our minds, uh, it redeems all these various things, our feelings, our, our fervor, our funds and food, etc. And here I want to look in verse 16 at our focus. How when our minds are renewed, it will redeem our focus. And what's important to see is that in verses 14 through 17, Paul pivots from talking about life inside the body to life outside the body, okay? Um, so there's a sense of what, we, what he's talking about here in verses 16 um, and 17 and following, actually, is how Christians are to relate primarily to those outside 
the body of Christ. So look in verse 16. It says, when our minds are renewed, it will redeem first and foremost our focus. In verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Now this is, this is the, the NIV's good translation. Literally, the text says something like, um, focus your minds on the same things with one another. That is to say, focus your minds on what you have in common. Now this is so, this is so incredibly counterintuitive to our culture of what works today. Our culture and our natural minds is all about focusing on how people are different from us. Well, how we're different. And Paul wants to say, listen, what we are to do is to focus how you live in harmony with one another is by focusing what you have in common with one another. That we have a common humanity. That we have a common uh, failing. That we have a common uh, a history, a common story. And I just can't encourage you enough on, on your social media, in your classrooms, in your work context, to focus not on what is different, what makes me, why I'm better than you, or what, whatever it is, but to, pause, to focus on what is what you have in common with others. You know, so often in any conflict, the temptation is to do what? Focus on the differences. And Paul will urge us and say, you know what, you have far more in common than you realize. And searching for that, meditating on it, focusing on it, is the sign of the Christian to say, you know what, despite our differences, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, just using my marriage, I mean, Sarah and I, we will, we will shake our heads, look at each other and say, you, we are so different, right? I've never, had a mar- I've never done any marriage counseling where they come in and say, you know, my wife and I or my husband and I, we're exactly alike. We have so much in common. No, they say how different we are. I and mean, the truth is, if you look at parenting, if you look at money, if you look at um, time management, I mean, there are so many things that Sarah and I have in common. And we, have, we absolutely do. We have our differences. We have deep differences, deep divides, deep, we've sinned against each other in deep ways. But that's just an example of marriage. But I'm talking about all our relationships focusing on what is central. And Paul talks about that. I'm going to take a second here. Look, look back in chapter 3 of Romans, uh, of Romans uh, chapter 3 of Romans. Look in verses 21 through 23. I need to see this because it's so important to Paul's, Paul's theology. Here. This isn't just a nice idea of, hey, you know, seek out what you have in common, like it's just some sort of random piece of advice. In chapter 3 of Romans, in verses 21 through 23, we have this pivotal um, moment where Paul says these words, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through the faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why? Why is it given to everybody? Why is it given to any soul? Because there is what? There's no difference. You got that? There's no, at the end of the day, for all your, all your differences, for all your ethnic pedigree, that's, that's real, those stories are different. For all the different, it's in class, in education. At the end of the day, all of us stand before him as sinners. There is no difference. And, and Paul here is speaking, the NIV rightly adds, between Jew and Gentile. It's not there in the Greek. But, because Paul has chiefly in mind here in this context the ethnic difference. At the end of the day, you Jews, listen up, you Jews. Listen up, you God's people. At the end of the day, there really is no difference between you and those pagans out there. Why? Verse 23, famously, for what? All 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace. So the gospel is this great level that says that no matter how many differences we have, it's not to dismiss those differences, but it's to marginalize them and say you and I have more in common than we do differently. Does that make sense? So first, Paul says first, when our minds are renewed, it makes us think about our focus. As we think about relationships, we focus on the commonalities. Second, we focus on the commoners. Look there in the rest of verse 16. I love this. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. That's such a great thing. How many of you, when you get together with family, there's just, you know, some members of the family, extended family, they just don't really count as much. They've made mistakes, or they don't make much, or they don't, they're kind of, their lives are kind of a failure vocationally. It's just kind of, ah, it's just Joe. It's just Sally. Or how many times at work? There are people who, they matter, they're a big deal, but other people, you know, the janitor, who cares about the janitor? Just walk right by them. They're nobodies. They're invisible. And Paul says, no, as Christians, our focus is to be not only on the commonalities that we have in life, but to be on the commoners, the quote-unquote the commoners, the little people. That makes sense? So we, our focus is to be on the commonalities, the commoners, with no sorts of, of comebacks or quid pro quos. Look at the, 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 the very beginning of verse 17. Sorry, I turned back to, to the, the beginning of verse 17 there. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then he says, he says but, but focus on the common good. There's a lot here. So he says, focus first on commonalities. Second, on the commoners. And third, on the common good. I love that. It's so beautiful. Um, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, Paul isn't trying to say that you just, you just cater to everyone's preferences. But he's saying, you know what? If I'm making decisions, if we're doing something, how can I do it in such a way to be mindful, at least, of other people's preferences, of other people, what, what's, what, what is right in their own eyes, and to accommodate and to be mindful instead of just dismissive. Well, what do they know? Right? So first, Paul says, when our minds are renewed, it will redeem our focus. Now I want to look here at verses 18 through 21. The Paul says that when our minds are renewed, it will redeem, listen to this, our offenses. The wrongs that have been done to us. Now Christianity, one of the marks of early Christianity is that it placed a premium on resolving conflict. Jesus expected lots of conflict and in Matthew 5 he says listen if you're there at the altar offering your gift you're right in the middle of worship right you're halfway through the service so to speak and he says and you remember that someone's got something against you guess what stop what you're doing leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled and he doesn't, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even say, listen, listen, if you've done something wrong, go confess. He says, if someone else has something against you. Isn't that amazing? So it's not like that. You're like, yeah, you know, Joe's got something against me, and what does he know? I, I know I'm fine. Joe's just, he's just, you know, he's just too, you got to tiptoe around him, walk around in eggshells around Joe. Everyone knows that. So just forget what Joe thinks. No, you're at odds with a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord, and you're going to stop what you're doing, and there's this premium, this amazing premium placed on peacemaking. And so look in verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
that, when we, that, that our minds are renewed when it comes to offenses, when we listen, when we stop, do, I mean, we stop everything we can, we stop in every way, we stop the conflict. We try to live at peace with everyone. And Paul is very realistic. He says, listen, I understand. It may not be, it takes two to tango. And if the other person doesn't want to be at peace, you, you, you can't do anything about it. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He said, do not, verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave, and listen, so he, first he says, stop the conflict, if you can. Second, he says, listen to this, step aside. Step aside, and this is so important. Because when we have been wronged, and again, Paul is speaking of outsiders here, when we've been wronged by non-Christians, he says it is so important that you, one, you seek to live at peace with them, you stop the conflict if possible, but second, you step aside. That is to say, you recognize that this non-Christian is living before a God who sees everything that they have done and remembers it and will punish them. Look at that, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. <laughs> right? Whoa, step aside. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, listen to this, it is what? Mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So Paul says, stop the conflict if possible, but step aside. Recognize that there is someone who is far more angry than you are about what's happened to you. You don't have to take revenge because you've got someone who will do it for you at the right time in the right way. And what's so beautiful to see here, gang, is that it is God's, precisely God's wrath. It is God's justice that enables us to then do what? That frees us to do what? Look in verse 20. To be generous toward our enemies. God's justice enables us to be generous. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Are you kidding me? I love this example. It's a quote from Proverbs. But what I love about the example of, of, of hunger and food, is it, or food and drink, is, is it's, it's, it's probably not a life or death situation. It's just a small, trivial, sort of everyday sort of thing. You're actually thinking about the daily needs of the person who has wronged you. I mean, that's just like, it just blows your mind. That if we see, if we actually step aside and look at God's wrath for all its, its terror, for all its ferocity, for all its weight, for all its gravity, then you know what? I really don't need to be angry anymore. And not only that, maybe I don't want my enemy to ever have to endure even that. Maybe I don't want that for them. Maybe I'm actually going to intercede and say, God, your, your wrath is so devastating, so real. I, I, as much as what they've done, I, I, and plus, we're, we have so much in common anyway. I mean, I already talked about how there's no difference. And so you please rescue them. Will you save them? Will you help me to love them? Will you help me to, to want the best for them? See, no one's thinking like that in the ancient world. They're just not. And no one's thinking like that on Twitter. That's for sure. Right? They're just not. But what I want you to see here, and I'll finish with this. I know I'm long here. But what I want you to see here is this very last verse. Because it's so... This is where Paul is just brilliant. It's just amazing. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. What Paul means there is do not be ruled, dominated, controlled, defined by the evils done to you. Listen, gang, when you have been really wronged in life, 
or when a loved one has been wronged in a terrible way, it can control you. It does. It comes to define. There is life before the wrong and there is life after. And it is hard to think about who you are or what you do in life apart from that abuse, apart from that oppression, apart from that injustice as it comes to define you. You kids, have you kids, have you ever had someone call you a name, a bad name? It's a way of defining they they're mean to you and they say, Oh, hey, four eyes. Or they say some name and it and it becomes how everyone thinks about you, and suddenly you're four eyes. It has this, this defining, dominating role. And what's so difficult is that even long after the event and, and the oppressor, the abuser has moved on and they're thinking about other things, you are left there still thinking about it. And you're mad because they're still winning, they're still controlling. And you can't do anything about it. And Paul says the only way out is to stare at the justice of God, the wrath of God, who sees, who knows, who will act. He says, do not let the evils done to you dominate you. Don't let them control you. And gang, there's just so much evil in the world. It's so easy to read the news and just get angry. And it controls you. We just seethe. And people, people love to say, oh, God's wrath, what a terrible doctrine. God's justice, who needs that? I'm like, are you kidding me? We absolutely need to know about God's justice. We need to have it scare the crap out of us. Why? So we can live lives of mercy toward non-Christians. So we can intercede for them and say, God, please, please rescue them. Yes, they did this, but so I am no different. Please, will you rescue them? How can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I live in a way that is the way of Christ? All right, does that make sense? There's a lot more I want to, I'd love to say here, but for the sake of time, I'll stop. But it's just, I want you to see the beauty of this way of life, that it's better. Either we're going to be dominated, controlled, defined by the wrongs done to us, or we can have our minds redeemed, renewed, and we can live in the freedom of God's justice that enables us to love our enemies. Let's, let's pray together.